0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition, We're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's Carabao Cup tie with AFC Wimbledon, taking place at Emirates Stadium on Wednesday night. An opportunity this season for Arsenal to put a little bit more focus on the domestic cups, given the lack of European football. And I, for one, am actually really looking forward to this game for a number of reasons, which we'll get into throughout the podcast on this show, we're going to be talking about how I think the game's going to go. We're going to be discussing what I think should be the lineup. We'll be talking uh, predictions and we'll be taking whatever else comes up in the live chat box as well. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of good discussion. There always is. With you guys in the chat box. So very, very much forward, uh, looking forward, sorry, to getting into this one. Let's say a few hellos. Big hello to Steve, to Dave, to Sai, to Femi, to really and to Afterling, who are all in the chat. Big hello to everybody else watching us as well. Um, Arsenal versus AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup. An opportunity, as I say, for Arsenal to progress in a domestic cup competition. Obviously, it was a little bit weird seeing Arsenal. Uh, enter the competition from the second round because it's not ever been the case previously uh, due to Arsenal's involvement in European football. Obviously that isn't the case this time around and so Arsenal were in the competition, I don't want to say with the minnows because that might be a little bit disrespectful but we came in at a stage that basically Arsenal fans of my generation won't ever remember us having come in uh, at before. Defeated West Brom very comfortably, it was a really good performance, helped in a lot of ways to kind of get the monkey off our backs with regards to not scoring and, and, you know, some really drab performances at the start of the campaign and and we moved forward and we got drawn against AFC Wimbledon, a side that, you know, we should beat a League, league One side, um, you know, a team who will be of a significantly lower quality but it is a cup tie, I do expect Arsenal to make a number of changes, and so anything can happen, I guess. Um, but I guess for me, why this game is particularly interesting is because I find Wimbledon or AFC Wimbledon's story incredible. I find it really, really fascinating. Now, I was born in South London. So one of the first football matches I actually ever went to was a Wimbledon game when they were sharing Selhurst Park with Crystal Palace, the, the old Plough Lane Stadium had been knocked down or sold off or whatever the deal was. And Wimbledon at that period of time, so around about the 96-97 season, was sharing Selhurst Park with Crystal Palace. What's happened since then is, is why I'm, I'm fascinated by this club and fascinated by how they've got to where they are now. Now, the original Wimbledon, who you may remember, won the FA Cup uh, not too long ago. Decided to up their roots and move to Milton Keynes. Now, for those of you who don't know England, Milton Keynes is sixty miles north of where Wimbledon were originally situated in the south, uh, in the south of London. So, to pick up a team, a team that was built on local support, a team that was built on community, to pick them up and uproot everything and move them 60 miles north was crazy. And it's something that the fans did not take to. It's something that the fans completely disagreed with. The FA allowed it to happen anyway. The powers that be refused to stop it happening. And as a result, MK Dons were born. Now, Wimbledon used to be known as the Dons. That was their nickname. So when they moved the club up to Milton Keynes, they went with the name MK for Milton Keynes and Dons. And, and this angered the Wimbledon fans, the old Wimbledon faithful who had followed the club for years and years and years. This angered them, and so they decided to break off and form their own football club, which is AFC Wimbledon. Now, this club was formed as recently as 2002. It's not even 20 years old, but they've managed to fight their way up the football pyramid and get themselves into League One, which is the third tier of English football and I'm sure they have aspirations to go even further but I just find this whole story fascinating and it's the power of fans and it's what you know fans can do if they put their heads together and obviously they were all uh, very very disappointed by the way things went down and the way the club moved and the club as a result of that in my opinion you know have become a little bit soulless the original Wimbledon now MK Dons because they don't have uh, the fan base that they had previously and it wasn't even a massive club anyway so to then lose what fans they had and, and the kind of identity that they had just felt like a, a really I don't know it's the kind of thing that if it happened to your club I'm sure you'd be devastated and so I always followed that story with quite a bit of interest but now they've built their stadium Uh, AFC Wimbledon that is have built their own stadium Plough Lane named after the old one I think it's around the same site maybe uh, a few hundred meters away from the original stadium but they've worked their way up and as I say they are now in League One they currently sit seventh in the table they've won three uh, drawn three and lost two so far this season so really interesting story and I'm sure it's a story that maybe if you're not based in the UK you might not have been As aware of but this is a club AFC Wimbledon that is is for the fans is has been created by the fans and I just find it a real fascinating story and normally I want them to do quite well but obviously they're facing up against Arsenal so that completely goes out the window uh, this time around but really interesting club really interesting story and I just wanted to share that uh, for those of you who maybe didn't know the origins of, of AFC Wimbledon and how they came about off the back of the original Wimbledon's very controversial move north, um, and uh, and and yeah, and and what's happened in the aftermath, and to see AFC Wimbledon, as I say, competing in League One now, I think is excellent, and I think it's a, it's a real sign of how powerful fans can be if they unite and if they have a common love for something, uh, if they feel wronged, and they all look to get together to to right that wrong. Yeah, they're not in the top flight, you know Wimbledon. I remember them being in the Premier League. That's not the case, obviously, but that club means something to them now. AFC Wimbledon is their club and there's no danger of anybody coming along and picking them up and moving them somewhere else. So yeah, um, huge respect for AFC Wimbledon and and everything they've done in recent years. But moving on to the game itself. Now, Mikel Arteta uh, was speaking about how positive he is about the ticket sales ahead of this one and in a week where there's been a lot of talk about fans attending matches especially around Manchester City it's great to hear that Arsenal have sold around about 48,000 tickets for this one now that is phenomenal when you consider that the Carabao Cup is regarded as the lowest of the cup competitions it it isn't the FA Cup Um, you know Arsenal fans would have been sort of hoping to have been playing European football again this season that isn't the case but I always say and, and I made this point on the 90 min show yesterday and I don't think Manchester City fans would have enjoyed it or liked it or even agreed with it but my point was in a week where we've been talking about man City and and in a week where Pep Guardiola has had to come out and say, We want the stadium to be full, like we need fans to come off the back of a really disappointing attendance in their Champions League game against RB Leipzig. I think the fact that Arsenal have sold 48,000 tickets just shows you the sheer size of this football club. And I'll tell you why. I'll explain why. Manchester City, if they play two home games in a week, okay, there'll be people that that simply can't afford it. And I get that because the the current situation is, is not great. Um, You know, we always hear this point made about Manchester not being as affluent as London. And I've heard Manchester City supporters, in fact, Boovy on 90 Min has has said on shows that it's just a different world and and that we shouldn't expect them to be attending two games in a week, etc, etc. And they're very hardworking people. And I don't deny any of that. But what my point is here is that Manchester City were charging £12.50 for people to get into a Champions League game between... Manchester City and RB Leipzig Arsenal I've paid more than that to go to Arsenal versus AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup so here's the thing Arsenal are such a big club that they have their core group of supporters the season ticket holders who attend every game who um, you know have already committed for the season financially and will attend those games and then they have The overspill to that. And when I say overspill, I don't mean that in any way uh, to come across as derogatory. That's not what I'm saying, because I was overspill for many, many years. Somebody who desperately wanted to go, but could never get hold of tickets. It was a big problem at Highbury. You know, the demand was huge and the supply was very little and it was a big, big problem. But Arsenal are such a big football club that that overspill is always going to be there. And by overspill, I mean people wanting to go who can't for whatever reason, whether that's financial reasons, whether that's because the tickets aren't available, whether it's because they don't have access to them, whatever the reason. And therefore, when a game like this one comes along, you will see some of the traditional attendees, the season ticket holders go I'm going to take a step back, and I'm not going to go to this game. I'm going to have a night off. We've got the North London Derby at the weekend on Sunday. I'm going to focus on that. So, as I say, I'll have a night off, and uh, and we'll deal, uh, you know, with that next time, or or I'll go next time, and you know, whatever. Um, if I'm going to miss a game, I'd prefer to miss this one. You will get some season ticket holders that will go. Season ticket holders that, like myself, still want to go and and have bought up their seat, and will be going to the game. But what's so refreshing about games like this is when you attend and you look around you, you will see completely different faces. You will at games like this. And to see that and see how many people outside of the regulars want to attend an Arsenal match, for me, it it just signifies... What a massive, massive football club this is. We might not be successful at the moment. We might not be where we want to be. We might have a long way to go before we're going to get to where we want to be. But you cannot deny that the following this football club has is huge. And clubs like Manchester City, no matter how successful they are, just don't have that following. Will they ever get to that point? Maybe if they can sustain the success... For 20, 25, 30 years, then you get fans kind of growing up wanting to support Manchester City. But anybody of my generation who wasn't Manchester-based, who wasn't a local, would never have picked Manchester City to support. And the same can be said of Chelsea as well. Now, it's not as glaringly obvious with Chelsea because they have a smaller ground. But Chelsea's fan base, I've noticed from doing a lot of this work and, and from interacting with people, is overseas now because Chelsea have been on an upward trajectory for many, many years. They've been incredibly successful under Roman Abramovich's leadership or ownership, I should say. And off the back of that, people have grown up now wanting to support Chelsea. So that kind of effect of of bringing in new supporters by breeding success and and, and doing really well, you don't see that effect until two, three generations down the line. So, that's that's the kind of point here. And I think with Chelsea, obviously, it's glaringly, it's less obvious because of um, the fact that they have a smaller stadium. But in Manchester City's case, it can be quite obvious because it's a big ground. Yes, they might fill it up for Premier League games, but they don't have that second wave of supporters waiting in the wings to come and step in when those opportunities present themselves. And that's the difference between clubs like Arsenal, who have been relatively successful for decades in terms of winning cups, qualifying for Champions Leagues, winning Premier League titles in the not too distant past. And clubs like Manchester City, who were, let's be fair and honest, pretty much irrelevant for for long periods and are now in a place where they are right at the pinnacle. Now, that will take time to filter through to their supporters or new prospective supporters and that's why you have that big disconnect so I know I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there but I really wanted to make that point and talk about it because the size of a club isn't determined by how rich you are it isn't determined by how many trophies you've won not in my opinion anyway it helps but they're just some of the factors some of the factors in deciding how big a football club is the biggest uh, for me Indicator indicator of, of exactly how big a club is, is the fan base, is the size of their support, is their global appeal, of which Arsenal have plenty. Right, let's get into the game itself then. And of course, the game is an opportunity for Mikel Arteta to give some players some minutes who perhaps haven't had as many as they'd have liked at the start of this campaign. Now, I've been thinking long and hard about the team I would select for this. And the biggest challenge I kept kind of coming across was in, in my own mind, that is, is what does he do? Because there will be, given the momentum that we're building, the fact that we've won back-to-back games, that we've kept clean sheets with this new look back line, there would be a temptation, surely. No matter how small, there would be some temptation from Mikel Arteta to say, well, we've got the North London derby coming up at the weekend. Let's maintain what we've been doing, if I name my strong side, especially my strongest defence, that brings us continuity at the back, it gives some of those new players, Takahiro, Tomiyasu, Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale, another opportunity to bond with their teammates and to, you know, to to, to build on that understanding and relationship. But for me, despite that little bit of temptation that I talk about, I think that we're going to see, and we probably should see, Wholesale changes. With all due respect to Wimbledon, we are talking about a League One side, therefore, an understrength Arsenal side should still have enough to win the game. And so I wouldn't be taking any big risks ahead of the North London Derby because I feel like if I were Mikel Arteta, I'd be looking at the Derby as a real opportunity to win some of the fans back on side. The season started dreadfully, then Arsenal. Picked up a couple of back-to-back wins against Norwich and Burnley, but they were against Norwich and Burnley. And now we've got an opportunity to take on our rivals at home, who we have a really good record against at home. And it's a real chance for Mikel Arteta to get Arsenal up to nine points, which would be fantastic. It would bring us level on points with Spurs, who three weeks ago were going to win the Premier League. And it would buy him some goodwill with the fans. And and just three wins back-to-back would give him that little bit of breathing space. And I would go as far as saying that if we won the North London Derby and then we went away to Brighton and Hove Albion, who have started the season fantastically, it has to be said. If we then went away to the Amex Stadium and we drew, I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world. And I think winning the North London Derby would buy Mikel Arteta that little bit of breathing space so that as he could pass off a result at Brighton like a draw as being a positive result if we were to lose the North London derby then people are going to say well then we need to go and win at Brighton because the points tally is not good enough and we're constantly missing opportunities so I would make wholesale changes I, I really really would and I've thought long and hard about them and and this is kind of uh what I have decided uh to go with not that it really matters what I decide but I thought some of you uh might be interested to hear so this is my team um to face to face Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup. So I'm not going to play Aaron Ramsdale because uh, for me, he starts the North London derby. I think he's been brilliant up until now. He's kept back-to-back clean sheets in the Premier League and there's no reason why he should be dropped. Moving into the right-back position, I'm going to go with Cedric Suarez. Uh, a lot of people may feel that Callum Chambers deserves uh, an opportunity because he was maybe ahead in the pecking line. But I just... I'm not big on Callum Chambers as a right back, so I'm going to go with Cedric. I think he needs the fitness. I don't think he's looked particularly sharp in the brief sort of roles we've seen him in as a sub. And when we saw him against Chelsea from the start, moving into the center of the defense, I'm going to go with uh, the new look, Rob Holding, his hair transplant finally starting to take uh, take root. And he looks like a completely different bloke, to be fair. And then I'd partner him up with Pablo Marie. Now, at left back, Nuno Tavares would start for me because Kieran Tierney obviously uh, left the field with cramp the other day. And I'm still worried about Kieran Tierney. You know, he he just doesn't fill me with any confidence when it comes to his fitness record. He just seems to break down far too frequently. So I'm going to go with Nuno Tavares at left back. Now, moving into midfield, this is one I had to think quite hard about. I... Ended up changing my mind in the end, and initially I threw young Charlie Patino in there. Now, I don't think that Charlie Patino is going to start the game. I'm not sure that he should start the game, but I do think that Charlie Patino should be involved somewhere along the line, probably from the substitutes bench. And given the update with regards to Mohamed El and the fact that he is going to be assessed ahead of the game, I've decided to drop. Mohamed Elneny into my midfield. So Elneny will sit there alongside uh Lokonga for me. I imagine, and I don't know this, and I'm not even sure that I want this to be the case, but I'd imagine that Granit Xhaka will return to the side. Um, will return to the side for the North London derby. Therefore, uh Lokonga will play in the midfield for me and Actually, I would probably give Ainsley Maitland-Niles an opportunity to play a little bit more advanced in the midfield. Um, Will it be a flat three if you go with this selection? I don't really know. Will we see a little bit something more like what we saw the other day, in which case Elneny can drop in front of the back four and you can play um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Lokonga as a flat midfield pivot with the two mid wingers either side? Moving into those winger positions, I've decided to, that I would go with uh, Emil Smith-Rowe because I'm not sure he looks quite up to it in terms of fitness. And again, thinking ahead to the North London Derby, I think I'd probably go with Pepe and Saka. So uh, on the other side, I'm going to go with a man that I'm really keen to see tomorrow. And I'm going to talk a little bit about him in a moment. And that is Gabriel Martinelli. And then up front for me, comes in Alexander Lacazette so my Arsenal side to face AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup and I know this is not the best uh, Arsenal side not by any stretch of the imagination but I still believe it's one that's good enough to get over the line at home against AFC Wimbledon having said that I would have all the big guns on the bench and and available to call upon if indeed um, we need them so my back four Uh, Back five, including the goalkeeper, for those of you listening on the audio platform, is Burn Leno, Cedric at right back, Nuno Tavares at left back, and a central defensive pairing of Pablo Marie and Rob Holding. In midfield, my three would be Mohamed Elneny, assuming he's fit, Albert Sambi-Laconga and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. My two wide players would be Emile Smith-Rowe and Gabriel Martinelli, with Alexander Lacazette leading the line. Now, I know a lot of you... um, disagree with my selection I can see it in the comments and that's absolutely fine some of you fear that it's not strong enough Uh, some of you fear feel like we should go even younger in our selection but this this cup competition represents as I've said an opportunity for Arsenal to you know to compete for a trophy to to do something that brings a little bit more excitement to what is expected to be a Bit of an underwhelming campaign again, given the start. So no, I, I want to see that side named. I want to see a side of a similar strength to that named at the very least, because I think it's necessary. You know, we talk a lot about the the golfing class between the Premier League sides and a League One side. But for me, if you're towards the top end of League One, then you're not far. Well, obviously, you're not far off in in theory, but. I don't think the drop off between the championship and League One is is all that big, and I think these are capable sides, sides who um, who could cause us a problem if we're not at it, who could cause us a problem if we're you know if we're too naive, if we're too uh, what's the word, too casual about it, and if we do take too many risks, I think that side that I've picked with the likes of Aubameyang, Pepe, Saka, um, Partey, etc. on the substitutes bench it, it, it is enough to do the job. And fingers crossed, you won't have to call on any of those players. But if you do, they're there. And, uh, and I think it's very important that they're there. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the game in terms of a prediction. I think this is going to be a comfortable victory for Arsenal. And I think it's the perfect fixture at a time where goals have been a problem. You know, goals have been a real issue uh, for me up until now, this season, for all of us. And i just like to see Arsenal find a way of, of, you know, albeit against weaker opposition, really kind of putting somebody to the sword so that we can look at it just like we did against West Brom, take some confidence from it and, and give some confidence to some of those forward players. I'll just take this quick super chat from uh, Mark Neighbor before we continue. There is a few bits I want to touch on before we wrap it up. Uh, he says, in three years, they have been here. I'm long gone off the hype train of Martinelli, living off a Kante slip two years ago. He has shown zero in three years to get as much hype as he does. Do not get it. Wow, Mark, not a fan of uh, Gabriel Martinelli, it's safe to say. Um, let me Let me respond to that because it is not the opinion that i have but it is one that i can understand it is one that i can relate to in some ways and and obviously massive thank you to mark for his very very kind donation to the channel that really really is uh is very kind of you and, and really does help so thank you uh so much mate but this is where i am at on gabriel martinelli and, and it's the next subject that i was going to touch on so perfect timing really I think that Gabriel Martinelli, when he first broke in the team, showed really positive signs. Under Unai Emery, he looked brilliant. He would play Europa League standard games and deliver. He would play cup games and deliver. He would make cameo appearances in the Premier League and deliver. And a lot of us felt like this was a real kind of talent that we had on our hands, a player that could really go on to the highest level. And it was so good. And he was so impactful at the very beginning that there were people calling for him to start in Premier League games instantly. And the reason for that with Gabriel Martinelli is he's the type of player that gets you up off your seat. Okay, there were games in the Carabao Cup, in the Europa League group stages, which are notoriously a bit of a drag that I would attend just because I wanted to watch Gabriel Martinelli because he had that X factor. And and obviously since then that trajectory has has taken a little bit of a bashing and it's not as as upward as it was at a certain point so i get that then he picked up that knee injury which was a serious knee injury and one that i was really worried about one that i wondered if he'd be able to recover from fully because we've seen so many players do injuries like that over the years and they never quite be the same and and i've done that injury Obviously, I don't play for Arsenal and I don't play professional football, but I know firsthand how it can impact in your mindset in terms of when you go into challenges, you get to points where you feel like you might exert your body just that little bit too much. And the fear of picking up another injury and the consequence of that almost dictates what you do and dictates the way you're thinking. So so I, I get all of that. I really do. Then last season he returned and he didn't really get a look in, okay, and a lot of Arsenal fans throughout the course of the campaign were saying, what the hell is going on, we can't score goals, we're not creating chances, and there's this Brazilian wonder kid sitting on the substitutes bench, not doing anything, not being involved, and and, and why is somebody like Willian, for example, who was the, the one name that people uh, would always talk about, why the hell is Willian getting opportunities and young Gabriel Martinelli the future of Arsenal Football Club is not and I understood that but Gabriel Martinelli is since himself said that the medical team have been very very cautious with that injury and have probably been overcautious. but it was a pro- an approach and a decision that they all took as a collective to protect Gabriel Martinelli from potentially suffering something similar straight away again and and ruining what could be a very promising career so last season when he wasn't playing I wasn't one of those people that was jumping up and down and going why the hell isn't Gabriel Martinelli in the side because I understood the reasons behind it I don't think that it's a case of Mikel Arteta not liking him I don't think it's anything to do with that and I know a lot of Arsenal fans feel that way but for me there's no basis upon which that argument should be made I don't think my personal view obviously but it just doesn't feel like a, a thing. And then, you know, when he has been given opportunities since. So at the back end of last season, he was given a few chances and he was given some chances. You know, well, he was given a chance right at the start of this season when we went away to Brentford. He's never really grasped them with both hands. And I know that you can sit there and you can say, well, we were massively understrength against Brentford. He didn't expect to be involved. He shouldn't have been involved. And then he was thrown in at the deep end because we had players missing. And I get that. But if you're a manager and you've got your side sorted, okay, we know that the wingers that Mikel Arteta turns to are a a mix and match between Bukayo Saka, Nicola Pepe, and probably Emil Smith-Rowe. Okay. Emil Smith-Rowe often pulls out to one of those flanks. And and so my viewpoint is very much this. If you are the player like Gabriel Martinelli, who is on the peripheries, on the fringes, and is trying to break in. Your opportunities are going to be limited. But when they do come along, you have to grab them with both hands. And he has to take opportunities like tomorrow, assuming he plays, with both hands because only then can he force his way into Mikel Arteta's reckoning and Mikel Arteta has shown that he's not afraid to make changes that he's not afraid to drop people so if I were the, were a player in Martinelli's position I would be very much confident that if I do my bit and yeah I'm not getting as many opportunities as I'd like and those and doing my bit only comes around once every five six weeks but that's just the way football works. He has to do something that makes Mikel Arteta go, whoa, why is this guy not in my team? And and Per Murtosaka did a really fantastic interview with a beautiful game podcast. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Um, check it out. I watched it today. And he talked about how it's all good seeing these players do it for the under-23s and in the academy and etc. etc. But when they get into the... Uh, the big time when they start playing in the Premier League and when they start trying to force their way into the first team their opportunities are only going to be 15 20 minute cameo appearances and and that's what they need to make the most of and and he said that it's a really different challenge and it's something that they're trying to equip the young players for and something that they're very mindful of when talking about players going from under 18s under 23s into the first team so that's, that's where I'm at on it. Look, I, I think he's immensely talented. I think he's very, very uh, determined. I think his tenacity is, is so refreshing. I think he sets the tone for the rest of the team in the way he harries and presses and is aggressive and always wants to play on the front foot. But I also recognise that up until now, since Mikel Arteta's arrived at the club anyway, and largely that's been down to the injury and then the recovery from the injury, he's not really, to use a, a Dan De Luca phrase, pulled up any trees. And if you don't pull up trees and you don't contribute, then what is it going to be that makes Mikel Arteta say, you deserve to start over Nicolas Pepe, who does contribute, who does score goals, who does create goals, or Emile Smith-Rowe, who is adored at the football club or Bakayo Saka another player who is adored by those you know sort of running the football club so you have to do something Gabriel Martinelli to make the manager go yes you have to play and I would argue that he probably hasn't done that yet and I know a lot of people will disagree with that and don't like that but I do think um, he he has struggled since he's returned and I hope that he turns that around and I hope he does force his way in the team because when we talk about the future and the exciting project and or, you know, at least try and kind of keep the faith in it, one of the players that you're probably most looking forward to seeing in, in, in the years to come is indeed Gabriel Martinelli. So I'm desperate for him to succeed, but it's going to take time uh, and he's going to need to to keep taking those opportunities when they do present themselves. And I feel as though uh, the game against Wimbledon is going to be one of those opportunities. Some of you asking me in the chat about following Balogun and um, and Eddie and Ketia. Look, for me, Eddie and Kettia don't want to sign a new contract. Uh, all of that stuff, and and you know, I feel you know he didn't want to join Crystal Palace because of the wages, and he didn't want to take a pay cut, and all of that jazz. I'm not really all that bothered about what happens uh, with Eddie Nketiah, to be honest. That's how I'm feeling at the moment, neither here nor there on him, so I wouldn't pick him. I'd rather, if you were going to pick one of the two, pick Balogun, who's uh, committed his his future to the club and is part of the plans moving forward. But I think because of Lacazette's lack of minutes so far, and the fact that we're probably going to need Lacazette and we're going to need him to get sharp and... And fit and ready and, and maybe further along in the season, this decision will be different for Mikel. But I think given where he's at, he probably needs the game time as well. And I think getting a fit and firing Alexander Lacazette is or should be more of a priority than giving Eddie Nketiah minutes. So that's that's my opinion. And even giving Foller and Baliger minutes at this point. So that's where I am. Right, uh, let's take some of your questions from the live chat box, so pop them in. But before we do that, uh, let me just uh, quickly check in where we are at the moment in terms of likes. Now, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. It really, really does help get the video out to as many people as possible. And uh, if you are not subscribed to the channel or the podcast, what are you waiting for? Get involved. Uh, We've got 49 likes on the board. Hopefully we can get that up to as close to 100 as possible because there are over 200 of you watching us live on the multiple platforms right now. So that should be, as I say, like work please do it really really helps and if you want to go one further and become a member of the channel you can do so by clicking on the link in the description um, we'd love to have you and it will support me to bring you more arsenal and football related content ...on a daily basis. Right, let's go over to the chat box. Let's take some of those questions and let's kick off with this one from Steve Stone... ...who says, if a young player excels in the first team when the opportunity arrives... ...do you feel that Arteta will take the risk or play it safe? It's a really good question. Um, it is. I think for me, I've one of the things I am confident in Mikel Arteta in... ...is that he does what he thinks is right even if it's going against the grain, even if it's swimming against the tide. And I think we've seen some key players dropped at certain points and some wholesale changes made when perhaps we didn't always expect them. So I wouldn't worry that he is is afraid of making those decisions. But equally, if a young player comes into the side and produces, for example, tomorrow night against AFC Wimbledon, is that enough to outweigh all the positives that some of his starting players have brought you throughout the season so far and that's why I say when you you're a young player trying to break through you need to take those opportunities but you don't just need to take them you need to grab them with both hands shake the shit out of them and show them in in the manager's wave them in the manager's face because that's the only way you're going to force him into a decision like that and I think that he will give young players the opportunity I've said it recently I feel like although we as fans have grown impatient with the way things have gone over the last 18 months or so. The club are very much invested in Mikel Arteta. He knows that. He knows that he's got a bit more time than what the fan sort of um, opinion seems to seems to say. And And I think that as a result of that, he will be open to making decisions that perhaps don't necessarily help us in the short term but will help us in the long term because as I've said before look Mikel Arteta's remit here at Arsenal Football Club is very different to that of Unai Emery's and it's why when people say to me why didn't you have the same energy uh, for Unai Emery that you do for Mikel Arteta or vice versa it's because the jobs are different the remits are different the circumstances are different and and that's you know that's where we are Um, that's where we are. Um, Moving on, uh, I wanted to touch on um, a couple of other bits from your questions. Uh, Riddy says, uh, Harry, do you think a Premier League loan will benefit Martinelli? Yeah, why not? Um, Why not? I think he's someone that won't have any issues with the tempo and physicality of the Premier League. And obviously, you know, you get a better indicator, don't you, of how those players will fare in this division rather than sending them to the arse end of nowhere and expecting them to then having performed, replicate that form in a much stronger and and much more competitive division. So, uh, yeah, I do think a a Premier League loan will will benefit Martinelli for sure. Uh, Moving on, let's take this one from Steve Stone. He says, how's the nappy changing going, Harry? I haven't changed a single one yet. I've got away with it up until now. And uh, long may that continue. Uh, Moving on, um, Said Abdullah says, what's your thought on Tavares so far? I'm not convinced by him. Uh, so far. Maybe it's because of the lack of game time. Again, very difficult to make a judgment on Nuno Tavares based on what we've seen so far. But I thought he was very good when he came on as a sub for Chiarantini at the weekend. Um, I think he brings a physicality, an energy, a strength um, and something that that we could do with at certain points in certain games. And I'll tell you what, like I don't want to say this and I don't want to put a jinx on Tierney or anything like that. But I do think we're going to see an awful lot of Nuno Tavares, a lot more than many of us would have wanted because of Tierney's fitness. I just see him breaking down time and time again. And I hope that the fact that we were, um, you know, that we were, that we are in a place where we're playing most weeks, just once a week with a lack of European football, that he would be a little bit, better served Kieran Tierney and that he'd have less problems and I know it was only cramp that he went off with at Burnley but I've still got that thing in my in the back of my mind all the time and so I do want to see more of Taravish and I do want to try and make uh, more of a judgment and assessment on him because I think we're going to need him if I'm honest. Uh, let me take uh, one or two more bits. Uh, somebody asked me, but I've lost the comment because the chat's updated, uh, if I think Charlie Patino will make his debut for Arsenal. Yeah, I think there's a good chance he will. Um, I'd love to see Charlie Patino named on the substitutes bench at the very least. Look, if he starts, I'm all for it. Uh, but I do think that Charlie Patino will probably get his Arsenal debut. We've heard a lot about him kind of being pushed up to the first team in recent weeks. And I think when you look at some of those highlights from those under 23 games, I mean, what a player. Uh, He looks fantastic, doesn't he? So, yeah, I hope he does get his debut and I expect him to be in the matchday squad. Not sure if he'll start the game, but I expect him to be part of the team. So uh, just to recap, Arsenal take on AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday night at uh, the Emirates Stadium. Unfortunately, it's not being televised in the UK, uh, but you'll be able to catch the highlights on Quest I've been told. Uh, So you'll be able to uh, catch up with what goes on there. If you're going down to the Emirates and you see me pop over and say hello. Um, Somebody said to me the other day on Twitter, I saw you at the last game and you didn't come over and say hi. And I was like, yeah, because your profile picture on Twitter is of an alien. You don't have your real name. And you might see my face every day, but I don't see yours. So it's very difficult for me to recognize people. So if you do see me, because I know a few of you have come up to me at the last couple of games, please do come over and say hello. I'm always interested to meet you guys. And it would be great to to have a little chat about the Arsenal. So uh, do not hesitate to do that. Right, I am going to leave it there. Actually, I'm going to finish off by giving you my prediction. I should have done that earlier, but I'm going to go for Arsenal 3. AFC Wimbledon nil. That is my prediction for tomorrow night's game. I'll be bringing you a post-match reaction video from outside Emirates Stadium as soon as the match is over. And we'll be bringing you the podcast uh, when I get home, which will probably be, as long as the game doesn't go to, to penalties or anything, probably be, if it finishes around about 9.35, 9.40, by the time I walk to the car, it'll be 10 probably be live at 11 to be honest I know it's a bit late uh for some of our viewers but you can always catch up with it a little bit later on but yeah content to come your way tomorrow reaction from outside the Emirates Stadium as soon as the full-time whistle goes and then of course our post-match podcast uh which will be available on all platforms um big thank you uh to those of you in the live chat big thank you um to uh to everybody who's uh, going to watch this or listen to this back later on as well, your support is very much appreciated. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Let's have a quick check in on the likes, actually, uh, just before I hit the uh, end the broadcast button. Uh, if my uh, page will ever load on my phone, here we go. So oh, we've only got 66 likes. Come on, let's get it up. Hit the like button now. Like, like, like. I'll catch you all very soon. Until next time. Ciao.